Good to see everybody today. Ready for some time in the Word? Here we go. We close out Romans, our series that we've been on for three months now. I'll wrap it up today, but just because we're done with it as a group doesn't mean that you need to be done with it individually. It's a great place to spend time. I wrote a letter to my daughter one week ago today. We dropped her off at Purdue on Monday. So it's not been a great week, really, for me. Um, Seems to be going okay for her. According to her tweets, Purdue is the greatest place on the planet. Listen, I'm just reading what it says. I'm not even, that's not even my shtick this morning. That's not even my spiel. I'm a sad dad, all right? So don't, I need, I need no grief from you guys. I got enough going on up here. I'm kidding, but anyway. But class hasn't started yet, so we'll see how great it is on Monday. But in my letter, I said, last thing I said, make room for the Word, just a little bit. You don't have to go down there and be a Bible scholar. But you, you've been taught to make room for the Word. And every time I've followed even the simplest thing that it has to say, it's never steered me wrong. Never have I ended up in a place of regret when I've done what it says. And I have ended up in the place of regret, but only when I go my own way. Anybody with me on that one? So, my dear, (laughs) make room for the word just a little bit. So I extend that to you. I say the same thing to you today. Make room for the word in your life. And this would be a great word. If if you're going to do that, spend time in Romans. Just because we're done doesn't mean that you need to be. This book that we have studied for three months, this is what they, scholars, this is what they say about it. If all of the scripture was going to be lost to you, and you could have just a few pages, 10, 12 pages, these would be good pages to take. Because they summarize the essentials. What's up with you? Who are you before God? What's going on with your life? What has he done? What is the plan of God? How has it unfolded? What is he doing? How can you trust anyone? How can you have faith in anyone that you don't know? This letter actually says that. How can anyone believe unless they hear? And so Romans then, it helps you know. It helps you know the one that you're to put your faith in. It's a book about God so you can know God rightly. And so... It's a great place to spend your time. Um, So what I'm going to do, the way we're going to end it, is we're going to end with a summary. If Romans is a good summary, we're going to end with a good summary. Um, I was going to just spend time in chapter 15, but chapter 15 is a continuation of 14, and Craig covered 14 last week, and Craig did it so well, I just didn't think we needed to hear it twice. Plus, I think he did it better than I was going to do it anyway. So I was sitting right out there and I decided, all right, I got to change it because it was actually written already. So thank you, Craig, for a two-sermon week. So a summary of my title is Five Big Takeaways from Our Time in Romans. Five big things 
that God would have us to know from the book of Romans. And as revealed by him, which is what the word is. I've told you this repeatedly, and I'll tell you this as long as I'm up here. The primary way in which God speaks to us, the primary way in which he engages us and impresses us to us and imparts to us what he wants us to know for our lives is the word. If you want to know what God has to say to you, he's already written it down. It don't, it's not some floating word out there. I spent time in prayer and I heard this, the wind blew and that, not that. He wrote it down. And these are the things, some essential things that he would have for us to pick up. So with that in mind, um, and when we're done with that, when we've taken in this summary of, of who we are and what God has done and how he's working it all out, um, and then we'll, we'll, close, we'll celebrate what he has done for us, and we'll celebrate the thing that brought us actually here today, the one thing, and that is Jesus, and we'll do that through communion. All right, so here we go. Number one, uh, these are mine. I mean, I, I didn't get these from a commentary. If you were just to read Romans, you just read it through like a letter, these are the things, these are the thoughts that would bubble up. These are the thoughts that bubbled up. Not knowing anything in the past and not really thinking too much about what's to come. Just like, what is this saying? In the first couple of chapters, it's this, one through three, is that in God's eyes, we are not good. The summary of this. Um, oh, and by the way, I filled in all the blanks today. So today is total cruise control, all right? It's not a mistake. I was sitting out there and I'm like, I really don't want to fill in blanks today. As I was out there, so I was you last week, and so I decided I'm just going to fill them in for you. So relax. We are not good. Here's the summary. This is uh, chapter 3, 10 through 12. No, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they, we, have become worthless. And that is the description that God would have us to know. That is the identity that God would have us to know about ourselves. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. No one seeks after God. No matter you grew up in church, how long you've been here. I found, this is, does this count? I found, I was, back, I was backstage praying for this service to go well, to go well meaning, God, help me to say what you've already said. And I found my dad's sermon notes. Any of you guys ever done that? It's got to count for something, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm ahead of you. <laughs> Turns out, ah, not no one, me and my dad. <laughs> no. The sum total of our righteousness before God is as filthy rags to him. All of us picking up the knowledge that there is a God, and the way we pick up the knowledge, his invisible attributes are, per are perceivable from nature, creation. Look around. Someone did this. This is not happenstance. It didn't just pop in. There's a creator, a designer. All of us Picking up the invisible attribute, attributes of a creator God, say, nah, I do not honor him, I do not thank him, I do what I want, and my foolish heart is darkened because of it. All of us, when we come face to face with what God wants for our, our life, how do we come face, how do you ever become aware of what God wants for your life? There's only one way, really, 
and that is the Word. You can live out here, you can grow up outside of church or whatever, but there's somewhere out here, there's this truth, there's this, there's this declaration God is saying, okay, this is what I want, and you become aware of it. And it doesn't matter if you're looking straight at it or you've just become vaguely aware. When we come face to face with it, we all say, no thanks, I'm going to go my own way. And that is, to God, sin. And no one here disagrees with it. We all say, yeah, I know. I sin. I'm not perfect. But I'm not horrible. That's the first thing we go. We can all find someone to prop up our own righteousness against. Everyone can find someone, then you're better than them, right? Like, you may be better than them. Kind of weak you have. <laughs> Typically the left, is. these are more holy over here. Yeah, next week, boom. <laughs> I'll just stand over here next week. The one new guy. <laughs> What's up? You can all find someone. The natural thing to do is to prop up your rightness on someone else's unrightness, making you feel good about you. We had an interesting guy pop into our life this week, and we saw him riding his bike uh, north side of town, and then a few hours later, he was in the corner of our yard on his knees, like praying. Like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing in my yard? Are you praying? Yeah. I need power. I'm like, oh, all right, well, I get that. We need power from Satan. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm a Satanist. Um, he said, I'm very aware of the demonic in my life, and when I walked by your house, it left. And I got nothing, in, I can't go anymore. I got nothing in me, I, I gotta stop right here. And inside I'm like, that's right. <laughs> you walking by my, be careful walking by my house. <laughs> this is a true story. Like, Satan? Really? Is that the best choice? Yeah. Why? Because Christians are the worst people I know. Especially you, like your age. That's what he said. You guys. All right, good luck then. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Let's use that guy. You better than him? That's right. And all of that means nothing. This is what God says. Before me, naturally, because you don't go my way, you are enemy. You're enemy. And if we don't understand this, we'll never, actually never even begin to look for help because we think we're okay. Enemy of God. We got to own it. And nobody does. Like, you never hear it as part of the description. Well, I'm a wife and a mother and a part-time realtor and a full-time enemy of God. I mean, nobody includes it in their description except God. So, as such, the only thing we deserve from heaven is wrath. What we get from heaven, though, is Jesus. This is chapters 3, 4, and 5. I used... 21 through 25. 
But now the rightness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Do you know what that means? Well, I'll break it down later, but some of this language sometimes. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift, 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 through the redemption that is Christ Himself, His life and His death, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Rightness is a gift to be received by faith. So what is all that, all that manifestation and propitiation and all that? What is God saying here? He's saying this in one, two, and part of three is like, you are an enemy of mine. Three, four, and five, there's nothing in you that you could ever do to make yourself right with me, and so I did it for you in the sending of my son. Now, how in the world is the sending of Jesus making us right or fixing what was wrong or turning us from enemy to friend. How in the world does that do that? And I'll give you a single word. I want to, what in the world? How does Jesus make it right? Substitute. I'm going to give you a single word, substitute. The way that Christ makes it right for us forever is that he became a substitute for us in every way you can imagine. So think about it that way, substitute. Substitute is always a, it's always a word that, well, not always, but sometimes substitute is a word that brings a smile to your face. It used to bring a smile to my face all the time. Like, we got a sub today? (laughs) Because when you have a sub, what happens? You don't have to do anything, right? One of my favorites, short story and then I'll keep going. One of my favorites, this guy, we were in high school, he, he decided to tell us he was a karate expert. Terrible idea. So someone went and got a board, (laughs) you know, a nice hardwood board, and he chopped it and spent the rest of the day with a frozen fruit treat on his hand, because he's not a karate expert, never mind. A better substitute. Christ the substitute, his life and his death. Now, everyone jumps right to the cross, but let's not go to the cross yet. Christ's life lived out perfectly before God needed to be lived out perfectly before God. He was the only one to do it because God needed something. He needed a righteousness, a perfection to put in place of our imperfection, to cover over, to substitute for ours. So the life of Christ was a perfect life that God needed to satisfy his own requirement. What is God's requirement for righteousness? It's 100%. It is not being better than them on this side or being better than that guy we talked about. The standard is 100%. So Christ had to live it out perfectly so God had something to substitute or cover over our imperfections. So hang on to that. His life was a perfect substitute for ours. It was a life we were supposed to live and didn't. So we put that over there. So hang on to that because we're going to come back and grab it. It's right here. His death was substitutionary as well. The death of Christ is him standing in our place, receiving the wrath of God that he pours out for sin, our sin, because God placed our sin on him for us. That's the description of the cross. God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin. He became something. He received, he was counted among the transgressors. He was counted as if he was a transgressor, even though he wasn't. So something was attached to him. He became it. And he, and holding it, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become something we could never be on our own, and that is right. Substitutionary death. So, all that wrath that we deserved from heaven, guess what? It did fall. But it fell on our substitute. It didn't fall on us. Do you see why this is such good news? Here's the, the, the amazing thing about this substitution. This sounds like an idea that you and I would come up with. Like, hey, I know. How about I completely blow it? And then you do it for me. <laughs> but guess whose idea it was? It was his. It was, the whole thing was God's idea. Greater love has no one known than one who would lay down his life for his brother. That's what Romans 5 says. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Penal substitutionary atonement. That's the fancy term, but this is what went down. The liberating truth that Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, God imputing the guilt of our sin upon Jesus. Let me stop right there. Impute. The Christian faith is about that word right there. If you can come to grips with that word right there and, and the imputing action of God, do you know what impute means? Impute means to cause to possess. When you impute something on something, you cause it to possess. So what God did was he caused Christ to possess what? Our unrighteousness. Christ was imputed with our unrighteousness, and we were imputed with what? It's over here, remember? His righteousness. The Christian faith is about the imputing action of God, deciding that it will be so. I'm going to stick Christ with your sin, and I'm going to stick you with his righteousness, and not because you deserved any of it, because that was my plan. The revelation of God in 3, 4, and 5 is, you couldn't, and so I did. The revelation, what God wants us to know in 3, 4, and 5 is, to be right with me, this is number two, to be right with me is something that I did for you. Receive it. Gifted righteousness. Jesus Christ is gifted righteousness. If you go for long periods in church and you only hear, be good and don't do that, and you never hear, you are gifted right by God, by faith. Gifted. He did it for you. Receive it. He did it for you. Receive it. Then they're doing it wrong. I just judged someone. The Christian faith is about a gifted righteousness worked out for you to be received. That's the revelation of God. So, receive it. In light of being an enemy, in light of the knowledge that you are an enemy, receive it. Why would you not? Why would you not? Three, <clears throat> the Christian life, this is six, seven, and eight, the Christian life will be a fight, but it will be worth it. So it's not like 
great. I'm a Christian. I believe. Where's Easy Street? You will not find it. Six, seven, and eight talk about the old self and the new self. To receive Christ, to believe, you receive something new. To believe is to receive something new, like a new nature. You have a an old nature and a new nature, and that's the Holy Spirit. It's the nature of Christ. When you believe, the promise is, I'm going to give you a new nature. And the nature is going to be the nature of Christ, the perfect nature of Christ, and it's going to act within you. I love this. We get the nature of Christ to will and act in us according to his purpose. All of a sudden, we believe and we have the nature of Christ acting in us to try to get some Christ-likeness out of us because there was no Christ-likeness in us. Before we believed, God puts it in. It's called, this is what Jesus was explaining to that guy named Nicodemus, being born from above. Listen, we're all born, all right, born of water or born of flesh, and that gives us a certain nature. But then at belief, there's born from above. It's like being born again. That's where we get the idea. The, the, the born part is a new nature. And then you have those two natures, and the rest of life is they fight it out. He said it this way to Nicodemus, who was a smart guy and taught the Scripture. And he said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said, what? How's that going to happen? And he said, Christ said, those born of flesh are flesh. Things born of flesh are flesh. In other words, you get from your parents a sin nature. Your sin nature came from mom and dad. They did it first, which they get it from Adam and all the rest of it. So, born of flesh is flesh. As long as you have flesh, there will be traces of the old sin nature in you. As long as you have flesh, there will be. But those born of spirit have spirit. Then to believe is to receive that new nature, born from above, and then they fight it out. And in the Christian life is that fight. It's a fight for newness. You have this new nature in you, and the, the spirit or the nature of Christ will always fight along this line. This is where the battle will always come. It will always come along the lines of what has the word said. So you'll come to a crossroads and this scripture or this spirit will always push. What is the word said? What is the word said? Because you're so used to going this way, it's contrary to the word, but it'll push you in a new direction. There's so many descriptions of new. You've been made new. You're a new creation. New, meaning you've received something new you didn't have anymore. But, the, but it's a fight, and you'll feel it. And the crossroads will be different for everyone. I, I, I thought of it this in the context of our letter to, the, to, these, to this Roman church, which is a mix of crazy Gentiles who used to worship all kinds of crazy gods, and then the Jews, which were super serious and wore the right clothes and ate the right food and all that. So that's, that's the group of people. So... Here would be an example, possibly, of the newness coming in contact with the oldness, pushing in a new way. And we'll take it from a Gentile perspective. Let's say that you're a Gentile living in Rome at this time, and it hasn't rained for a month. And you're looking at your crops, and they're just, they're just starting to curl up, like things are starting to shrink down, and you need rain. So the neighbors, you're, you're a new Christian. The neighbors haven't. So the neighbors say, you know what we need to do? 
We need to fire up a, a feast for Zeus because Zeus is the one that causes it to rain. Remember we talked about this? Zeus controls the rain. So bring the, fat, bring the best you got. Bring the fatted calf and all that stuff. We're going to have a feast to Zeus. And then when we sacrifice and he gets some of the blood and we get the meat and all that stuff, he's going to be so happy and it's going to pour. So it's on Friday. And you're so used to doing that. That is like, the, you're, it's so natural. And, but then there's something like, no. We don't do that anymore. But, it, but then you're like, you're right, can't do that. But then you're looking at your crops, and then like the old patterns are so set. Like, no, I, but maybe I can just take a chance. Maybe I could do both. <laughs> Love Jesus and do you see the old pattern, how it pushes? And then the new pattern says, what, is the word, what, would, what would the word say? You shall have no other gods before me. You trust me, I, right? All that stuff. And you're like, I don't know. I want to go the old way. And here's what makes it even harder. If you don't go to the feast and everyone else around you does and it still doesn't rain, whose fault will it be? And then you want to talk about a difficult life when you start going a different way than the rest of the world, are you going to feel it? Oh, you're going to feel it. Welcome to Christianity <laughs> to go a different way. And it will be a fight. So I don't know what the crossroads is. I mean, you're probably not struggling with having a feast for Zeus. <laughs> right? Maybe. Hope not. I don't know what, what is your old pattern? And they're so there, aren't they? I saw a good buddy of mine from two decades ago. And when I saw him, he is a reminder of all the old patterns that we used to run in together, all the old ways. And it's just right there. It's so familiar to me. And I'm completely capable of all of it today. So I don't know what your old patterns. Maybe... Maybe it has to do with sexual immorality. When it comes to sex, you do whatever you want, however you want, with whomever you want, whenever you want, because it feels good, and that's just what you want. And then all of a sudden, there's this, like, I'm an enemy of God. I need to receive this substitution. And then you get a new nature, and it's like, no. Sex is a gift from God reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. And when you're married, have a blast. But until then, no soup for you. Remember that? <laughs> That is a, it's going to be a fight. You're going to feel it every day. As long as you have flesh, the trace of the old sin nature will be there. And you'll fight. Maybe, it's, maybe you are a liar. And every crossroad, like, you have the, there's the application. Will you lie? Because that's who you are. You do lie. And like, no, it, it, it's always going to push you. And it doesn't just have to be the bad. We always focus on the sinful bad. It can be the good the, the Spirit can be pushing you, not just don't do the bad, but hey, go do the good. When, when a Satan worshiper is praying in your yard, give him a sandwich and take him where he needs to go because he doesn't have any demon power to get there, which is what my wife did. Here's a sandwich. Where would you like to go? He's like, Thanks. Well, no, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I get it, but that's, that's what she said. She was actually saying, you know, I've, my prayer life has been this to God. 
I don't do much. And I'm not sure there's much I'm good at. Is there, what would you have me to do? And then <laughs> that. Worry. This is for me. This happened this morning. I worry. Like, if this doesn't go right, then that doesn't go right. And what about this? And so I'm all, and it takes me, it takes me less than a minute, and I am already about six years down the road worrying about that day. And, and what I get is, hey, what do you got to do today? Be everything I need you to be today. Today has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Where does that come from? Where does that counsel come from? It comes from the Spirit of God who knows the Word of God, who only speaks what the Father tells him. And so the Father told me today in my spirit, hey, stop, you got something to do today. Relax. We have a counselor that only speaks what the Father tells him, which is the Word, and it's with us always. But it will be a fight. But it'll be worth it. It will be worth it because this is the last part of eight. This is the promise of God. This is the promise for those who love God and are called according to his purpose that there will be an inheritance. All this fight will be worth it. Because there is an inheritance out there waiting for us. It's life together with God and all the saints and there, there will be no more fight. And it will be perfect. And I get it, it's vague. I know, heaven, great. I'm supposed to be encouraged today by heaven. We just don't think about heaven. The only time we think about heaven or later or inheritance is if death comes close. And when death comes close, then we think about it. But today we're not thinking about it because death seems far away. And it's, it's not so much of a draw. It's a, what's the big appeal? I don't know, I just need help for today. I'm not even worried about heaven. But this is what I've seen when death does this is what I've seen when death does come close. The people that death comes close to, they make a single grab. And the single grab they make, they grab for, is hope for more life. If you die, the people around you will make a single grasp, and what they want is hope that there will be more life for you later and that somehow they'll be included in. I've never seen it any I've never seen it go any other way. If you die, they will make that grasp and what they want, the ones that love you the most, they want assurance. And they'll grab anything to get assurance of the hope of more life. They'll even grab me or another minister of the gospel and they'll say, hey, you go say what you always say. I need you to say what you always say and say it right here. And so I do. But nothing I say can ever give or take away faith. They either had it or they didn't. So leave no doubt. Leave no doubt. 
tell everybody you love today, are you with him or not? Just declare it. Like, get it out there. Like, don't, don't be vague. So then we, we're sliding in. You're dead. And we're like, well, I went to church a lot. I don't know. You know, you had that one moment. You know, you said you don't. Leave no doubt. Because you got time. I, and I don't know how much. Life is short. I mean, I helped a friend bury a dad a while ago, not long ago. A good friend of mine buried his grandpa yesterday. I did some math for me. If it goes really well for me, really well, I got 8,395 days left. My grandpa died at 67. They say I'm a lot like him in a lot of ways. And I figure I'm 44. If it goes really well, I've got 12 million minutes left. I was a little surprised when I did the math. I'm like, 12 million minutes? Like, I was hoping for a billion. <laughs> I got 12 million. By the time we're done here, I'll be in the 119999 category. And maybe, I don't know, I could, I could literally fall off a roof tomorrow. That is possible. I mean, maybe I got like... When you're out of minutes, do you have any hope? When you're out of minutes, do the people who love you the most have any reason to hope? And Romans says, yeah, if you had faith. And you can trust it because, number four, oh, wait. Yeah, let's just cruise on. I must have got sidetracked. <laughs> number four, those are really good points, and I'll, they'll be covered at 11 if you want to come back. <laughs> Do you have hope when you're out of minutes? And does anybody who loves you have hope when you're out of minutes? Yes, if you have faith, because if God said, and you can trust it because if God says something will happen, it will happen. This is 9, 10, and 11. The primary charge in 9, 10, and 11 is the Word of God has not failed and the Word of God will not fail because the God who created everything is not like us and He cannot lie. The Word of God will never fail. The Word of God has never failed and it will not. And if He said it, it will go down. Now, it may, be, it may not look like you think it's going to look, but then we're reminded in 11, you're not God, and he can work it out however he wants. But God is in control. And, and the way it rolls out in 9, 10, and 11 is like, there was some doubt. Like, well, God made all these promises to the Jews, and they're perishing left and right. Maybe God is nothing. Like, oh, no. God has worked it out. This is his plan, and he knew exactly who a Jew was and who a Jew wasn't. And there's a deciding action of God, and he's in control of everything. Those who love God are called according to his purpose. God has controlled that process all along the way. And so the, the, the counsel from Scripture is the word of God cannot fail. It has not failed for the Jews, and it will not fail for you. If you read through all that good stuff in chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, for the love of God in Christ, then it's legit. It's true. And there's something that produces hope 
when you realize that you're connected by faith to a God who's in absolute control. It can give you hope in a situation that seems hopeless. The, the thing that's hardest for me to believe is that God would say to me and has promised to me as a believer, I declare you right. That's ridiculous. So it didn't have anything to do with you. It had everything to do with what I did in Christ. And you know what? It's true. It's one of the hardest things to grasp for me, but it's true. Why? Because God said, and he's declared, it's the promise for those who believe. Another one. God's promise would be, sometimes my grace to you will hurt. Sometimes you're running around doing all kinds of silly things in your life and you're paying no attention to me and the only way I can get your attention is to let you blow your own life up and so now that I've let you do it, you need to realize that that was actually me allowing that to happen. So now that I've got your attention, you're welcome. So in the midst of it, so maybe your life has blown up and right now you're struggling with it and, and what, he's, what he said is, hey, that's my goodness to you because now you're with me. And that's the best place you could ever possibly be. All kinds of promises. Life after death. New resurrected body. New heaven. New all that kind of thing. If God has said it, it will happen. And that produces tremendous hope. And the last one, the, the, he rounds out the chapters with this. He says, this is 12, 13, 14, and 15. The way God can tell if we love him or not is by how we treat other people. You can say whatever you want. You can claim Christ up and down, but your life will tell on you. I mean, your life will, your life will prove it out. Not this, not this. Prove it. Prove it out so that God will accept you. No. If God has accepted you, if, if that transaction, if you have, if you have, if you've received a new nature by faith, then it will prove itself out. And there's all kinds of descriptions. 12, 13, 14, and 15 are just good things to check yourself against. They, they actually cut. I mean, here, here's a description. Um, attributes, of, attributes of those who are truly children of God. Marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Is that you? Is that me? Is there any of that in you coming out? Because that has to be the new nature of something you didn't have before coming out of you. 12, 13 for their good checks. And they cut. But they're supposed to cut. And the one doing the cutting is that new nature. It's the Holy Spirit pushing you towards 
a, a Christ-likeness that you didn't have before. I, I swear I have like a lot more, but we're just going to wrap it. We're just going to close her down right there. This is what it says. This is what Romans says at the end. I like this. Romans says, when it's kind of, this is not 16. 16, Paul just says, so long, I'll see you soon, you know. But at the, in the kind of the middle of 15, it says this. Let the things written in former days instruct you, encourage you, and cause you to endure. Isn't that awesome? May these things written in former days instruct us and encourage us and cause us to endure. Amen on Romans? All right. Now, those things are, are out here, and those, those things are true, um, but God has given us a way for us to, to pull them in. I mean, it's one thing for them to be here and say, yeah, I need to aspire to that. I mean, how can that, how can that be mine? And then he gave us this way in which we can embody it. We can own it. We can really say and tell ourselves completely, walk out of here, say, no, all that stuff, all that, that goodness in Christ is mine. And the way that he gave us to kind of pull it inside of ourselves is a meal. It's a communion meal. And it, and it has two pieces on it. And it's, it's a meal for those who believe. It's a meal today for those who want to believe. Maybe you realize today that you are an enemy and that you want a substitute. Say yes. Say yes and then receive it. There's, there's nothing that says you can't do that. The only thing that keeps you away from the table is that if you really haven't believed. But the meal is of two parts. It's the bread which represents his body. And his body was imputed with our, unright, our unrightness. When you grab that, you realize that all of my unrightness went to him. It was attached to him. He stood in as my substitute. But it wasn't enough just to attach it. The penalty for that was the wages of sin is death. And that's what the cup is for. The Bible says that life is in the blood. That blood represents life, and the cup represents blood. The wages of sin is death, and so he gave his life. So you put the two together, and it finishes the deal. That everything that he's promised us in Christ becomes ours, and it's a way for you to remind yourself, that's not just words on a page. That is my life. It's the life he's given me, and I want to remind myself of it. That's what we get to take together as we close. So, think about it. I don't know where you are on this. I mean, I'm hoping that there's enemies of God in here have decided, you know, today I could hear it for the first time. I can hear it. God has done something in my heart. He's given me the ability to believe today, and I believe. And you come forward. Maybe you're a long-time warrior who's been, yeah, it's a fight. I'm still in a fight, and it's a fight, fight, fight. I don't know where you are in this, but we just have the chance to remind ourselves of all the good things that God has worked for us in Christ, and we get to own it today. So you think about it. We're supposed to. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. Don't be flippant about it. Don't be, sort it out. Go to him. Thank him for the imputing action. Thank him for the, the substitution. Thank him for the grace, even if it hurts. Confess. You sort it out with yourselves. And when you've sorted it out with him, and then you, you come and you take it, you remember, and you, you own it.
So that's how we leave today. I'll pray, and then we'll give ourselves some time to prepare to do that. Lord, thanks for Romans. Thanks for revealing to us what it is that you have for us, that you've done for us, um, for laying out for us, you know, hey, this isn't going to be easy, uh, but it'll be worth it. So we need a reminder in the midst of the grind, and now's a great way for us to do that. So we honor you today in the taking of communion. We do this in obedience because you told us to do it this way. And so help each person in this room, speak to each person, sort it out today. Where are they? What do they need to bring to you? Um, Help everyone in this room do good business with you today, and then come forward and remember. And we do it in your honor, and we do it in the name of the one who saved us, and everybody said... Amen. When you've sorted it out, you're welcome to come to the table.